0: This is a Music Therapy Chronicles podcast interview with Danielle Porter.
1: I think I used to think a leader was just, you know, being able to really just hone your craft and just be an awesome music therapist and do the best you can. And I still think that's that's true to an extent, you know, and now now that I'm a coordinator, I have a very small department, but I'm still a coordinator. And so I still have to function as as a leader. Um, And in in coming into this role, I kind of gave a lot of thought, like, you know, I have different relationships now um, that are sort of defined by my role. So how can I set myself apart as as a leader versus who I was before like yes I'm still a music therapist but now I have this coordinator title what does that really mean and and what can I do um, and even if you know anyone listening who isn't a coordinator like I still think these are good questions to ask yourself and so um, one of the things that John C. Maxwell says like he says to add value so wherever you go whatever you do like try to add value
0: You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Kayati. I'm your weekly host and a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe so you never miss an episode and consider leaving us a rating and review. We really appreciate them. You can find more podcast episodes, links to our pod courses, the self care community, links to all of our social media, and get on our monthly newsletter all at musictherapychronicles.com. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to this show today and you can always reach me by sending an email to hello at musictherapychronicles.com. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles. I hope you are having an amazing day. Thank you so much for taking the time to be over here on the Chronicles with us today. My conversation with Danielle. We cover so much. We talk about internship, leadership, balancing motherhood and life with our professional careers. We cover... The Gambit, uh, working with other professionals and collaborating and co-treating and learning and self-reflecting, all that good stuff. So I really hope you get a lot out of today's episode. I know I really got a lot out of this conversation. And if you are not already signed up to our newsletter and subscribed to the show, please do those things, especially because coming in July to celebrate the opening of the self-care community... Uh, I will be hosting a self-care challenge where you're going to get some... um how do I say this? I will be putting out, uh, I think, bi-daily episodes, you know, so every other day episodes for the challenge. And if you are on our newsletter, you'll also get the worksheets that go along with each day of the self-care challenge. And then, of course, you'll be the first to know when the doors to the self-care community open. I really hope to welcome more of you into that community coming up in July and connect with you there. All right, let's get into this episode with Danielle. All right, Danielle, welcome to the Music Therapy Chronicles. Thanks for having me, Trisha. I appreciate it. I appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to meet with me uh, and work around your work schedule and my schedule and that we were able to coordinate this. I really am grateful for that. So thank you. Yeah. So to start us off, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and it can be music therapy related or not? Okay, sure. Um
1: so I am a neurologic music therapist. I work at Brooks Rehabilitation in Jacksonville, Florida. And um though I work in Jacksonville, I kind of live out in the country. Um, my husband and I and our daughter, we live on like eight and a half acres. We got a couple cows, no chickens yet. Um, and a oh, like little gardening spot and um So anyway, I love my job, but it's also like super peaceful to be able to get away from that and put space. And I always talk to my mom or whoever I need to chat with, catch up on the long ride home. And then when I'm home, it's just I feel like I'm almost on vacation, um, just being in a different place. And so uh, I know one of the things you've talked about in your other podcast has just been like self-care. And I swear my self-care is like just being you know, farther away from work, even though I love my job, I think it it really uh, helped me to wind down.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's something to be said for, um, a stark contrast in environment for where you work and where you rest for sure. Yeah. And I mean, it was really, um,
1: it's been a big change for me because I grew up in suburbia in South Florida. And so, I grew up on, you know, I don't know, a postage stamp of a backyard. (laughs) And so now I'm like, wow, okay, what do we do with all this space? Um, So it's been an adjustment, uh, but we love it.
0: Yeah, good for you. That sounds lovely. Yeah. So tell us how you found Music Therapy and how your journey has taken you from then to now.
1: Yeah, um, great question. So I, when I was in college or rather when I was in high school, I knew I always wanted to do something with music and I did all that fun honor band stuff. Clarinet, you know, was my primary instrument. And I was like, this is great. Performing is great. But I was like, gosh, I have so much anxiety. I literally don't think I could do this as a profession. And just knowing that you had to be like, the best of the best to be in music performance. I was like, that's just a lot of pressure. I'm going to develop an ulcer by the time I'm 30. Um, so I I was like, let's not go that route. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So I was like, let's not go that route. Um, but I was also really interested in psychology. And so I came upon music therapy. And so starting when I was like a junior in high school, I shadowed a couple of, um, music therapy sessions. Um, this one big private practice in Broward County, they were, um, Mm -hmm open to having me observe and then even like kind of help co-treat a little bit um over the summer and so I learned so much and I was like this is definitely what I'm going to school for Um, and you know I always had a passion for helping people especially um you know geriatric persons because I had elderly grandparents growing up and I just loved being around them Um, Mm -hmm. so all of that kind of led me to to music therapy so here I am (laughs)
0: That's awesome. And now you are leading an internship program. It sounded like, so you get to kind of get yeah, so, that way.
1: Yeah. That's honestly one of my favorite parts of my job is just being able to give other students that opportunity, especially when, you know, the neuro rehab setting is there are so few music therapists that work solely in this setting, you know, they make contract in this setting, but like employed by a neuro rehab facility that's really unique. Um, and to be a part of the culture and the team day in and day out. Um, I feel like that's so special and, you know, the obvious thing to do was to open it up as an internship opportunity. So, um, I'm the music therapy coordinator at Brooks and, uh, myself and my colleague, AJ Denny, who was just on your podcast a couple weeks ago. Uh Um, Yeah, she takes an intern too. So we just have two intern spots that are open every six months. So we usually take uh, students in January and then again in June. And the really cool thing about the June internship is it, um, it overlaps a little bit with the students who started in January. So like the former students who are finishing get to continue their journey of learning by teaching the next student for that two weeks that they overlap. Um, And it's just a really beautiful thing to witness, to see, you know, one student just really blossom and the other one's eyes, big, you know, big as headlights. They're like, wow, what is this? Oh my God, I can't write enough down all at once. Yeah, I love that. It's it's very gratifying. And then, you know, to to see the students when they're done to like take the helm and, you know, cause they get to have my whole caseload. So my student right now, she has my 14 person caseload and she's killing it. She's rocking it.
0: Awesome. Hopefully she listens to this and gets to hear that. I'm sure you <laughs> give her that feedback anyway, but it, it's still cool to hear it, you know, when you're not there <laughs> yeah. to listen to it live. If that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah. How cool. That's something I wish I'd had in my internship was any sort of overlap or camaraderie or anything like that. Uh, So for anyone listening, who's trying to set up an internship, I am biased and thinking that's an awesome model uh, and that more internships should be like that.
1: And I think it's just really helpful, like with the student being able to say to the new student, like, hey, it's okay that you're overwhelmed. I was totally in this place. Let me help you. Let me teach you, and and then also let's hang out together after work, mm-hmm. and let's you know let's watch a movie or you know whatever. Let's grab a drink. Like I you know I think that's really important. Um, I had overlap in my internship, and I just really fondly um, looked back on that. And so I was like, how can I how can I make this happen in in our internship? So our students so far the feedback has been they really like it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and like you said, you get to create those bonds. Um, so then when you go into the professional setting. Uh, it can be isolating. So it's nice to be able to fall back on those friendships you've made. And the other thought I'm having is, as the intern who's leaving, being able to kind of provide some guidance, I think is a great reflection opportunity on how much they have learned. Because when you're in it, even if you're in like the last month or so, it can still feel like there's so much to do. There's so much to learn, like things, this is ending and like, I don't even maybe don't feel like I've come that far, but then to be able to impart your wisdom on someone else is like, oh, like I have picked up all these skills. I have learned all these things. I'm capable of more than maybe I thought I was. Yeah. Very self-affirming. Definitely. Yeah. That's a very concise way to say that. (laughs) Cool. So tell us about your thoughts on an interdisciplinary um, collaboration in your setting. And maybe if for anyone who's not really familiar with um, where you're working, the community you're working with, can you like paint a little bit of a picture for us uh, and then tell us your thoughts on interdisciplinary approach? Yeah, absolutely. So definitely I'll start with, you know, where
1: I work. So Brooks is a really large not-for-profit organization and uh, we have two Main inpatient hospitals, um, and we take neurologic injuries such as stroke, brain injury, spinal cord injury, neurodegenerative disorders, um, and so. Uh, in addition to the inpatient hospital, we kind of have this kind of continuum of care, is is what we call it, where after somebody's done with their rehab at the inpatient hospital where do they go next? Well, they can go to a number of different um, kind of sub programs that Brooks has. So we do have um, a skilled nursing, we have assisted living, we have memory care, but also um, we have a lot of really um, niche day programs. So we have uh, a brain injury clubhouse that also does vocational training in addition to just activities um, for cognitive stimulation throughout the day. Um, Then there's a uh, Brooks Aphasia Center for purple people with uh, communicative disorders. Say, um, I can't even communicate. I said purple. I need the aphasia <laughs> center. Um, so and that's one of actually one of my favorite um, places to work. Um, and then um, we also have like a neuro intensive neuro day treatment program, too, um, mainly for people with brain injuries. Um So there's just, and and then of course outpatient therapy. So there's just so many places to continue the therapeutic rehabilitation journey. And for me, um, I'm super, super lucky because I even though I'm mainly at the inpatient hospital three days a week on my Fridays, I get to go to some of those areas I just mentioned and I actually get to see patients that were at the inpatient hospital And they've rotated to one or two of these other places where I either run groups or individual sessions. And it's just so cool to see them going from being in a wheelchair to being able to walk to, you know, being able to to communicate with their loved ones to, you know, going out there and trying to get a part time job like there's just it's so incredibly rewarding.
0: Yeah. I'm imagining if I, myself, or if a loved one was in a situation where they had to go into inpatient care and how much peace of mind it would give me that they wouldn't be like bounced around between different providers and on every stage of their journey, that they would be in a place where like the path is laid out for them. Like you said, there's that continuity of care. Uh, they're probably see more familiar faces than not, even when they transition. And for you as a care provider, that's so cool to be able to challenge your skill set in each of those areas of growth. Um, so like you can really hone in. like you know, sometimes you can really hone in on like, we'll say inpatient, like that's your jam, but to be able to follow people through all of those and as an intern, to be able to have experience with all of those different um, those different levels. That's really cool to think about all within one system. Yeah, you're right. It really is um, a challenge to the skill set. Like, For
1: example, this this one young gentleman I had, we saw him in the inpatient hospital. He was pretty much just referred to us for cognitive reasons, so mainly memory and attention um, and executive functioning. And so then we saw him at one of these other day treatment programs. And we're like, well, okay, well, he he finished, he did really well with, you know, all the COG stuff, what are we working on now? And lo and behold, he was referred by his physical therapist to that, um, that mm-hmm. extra day treatment program. And so we were co-treating with, with PT on gait training and balance. And so um, it's just cool to see, cool to work on a different skill set, not only for us, but a different domain for the patient as well, depending on the, the setting that they're going to next and, you know, dependent upon their progress, of course. But I guess that kind of brings us full circle into kind of the second part of your question about um, interdisciplinary treatment. Um, so I get to tr- co-treat with physical, occupational, and speech pathologists. And I swear I owe like 50% of my knowledge to these experts because they that's exactly what they are. They're experts. I feel like uh, my education at my university, I went to Florida State, was wonderful, um, but I feel like nothing can replace, you know, that clinical experience. And um, I have wonderful mentors. Um, I have a wonderful speech therapy Uh, excuse me, speech pathology mentor, and you know, an occupational therapist who, you know, I I just work with them so frequently throughout the day. In fact, I'd say about 80% of my caseload is co-treatment with other disciplines. And so I'm always learning. And um, I just feel like, like just life in general, you should always be open to learning, you can never know it all. Um, Nobody. (laughs) Um, So I really enjoy like, learning different like terminology, anatomical terminology to help describe our sessions better, how what movements we're using to hit the drum, you know, are we doing add an abduction? Are we instead of just saying reaching to hit the drum, right? Like I mm-hmm. I wanna be respected by other people in our field. And to do that, sometimes you gotta talk the talk and walk the walk. And so um, you know, I kind of depend on my co-treat partners to help educate me. And, and um, we're often able to uh, reach goals faster when we co-treat versus, you know, um, just seeing them individually. Um, so it's it's a wonderful symbiotic
0: relationship that, that I have with my
1: interdisciplinary treatment partners.
0: Yeah, I love that. Uh, and I'm sure they really appreciate your ability as a live musician to adapt and engage and like come up with the creative ideas to you know work on goals that might not be so fun when you're not there and that's okay but there is like you said so much we can learn from other disciplines and other professionals and for anyone listening who has the opportunity to co-treat I echo definitely take that opportunity and learn as much as you can um, I know I don't get that all the time, but every chance I do, I try and jump on it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a blast. And um, one of my favorite things that, I, that, you know, comes out of co-treating is when we collaborate on an idea and adapt an instrument in some way, or like, for example, we we use mallets for, you know, playing, playing drums um, or steel drums or whatnot. And so if a patient has difficulty with grasp, we've um, taken a U-cuff or a universal cuff and been able to build it up, um, make the padding thicker or insert the mallet so it fits into the U-cuff so that they don't, even if they don't have full grasp and they might otherwise drop it, they're able to maintain that grasp and continue through with the activity and still feel successful. So I love working with, with that and just finding raw materials like Velcro and and um, sticky paper and tape and um, you know, all sorts of stuff, splinting material to to create these adaptive tools that we need that are so important in the moment to help the, the patient achieve their goal.
0: Yeah. I'm curious. We've said that we definitely learn a lot from other disciplines. Is there something that you find yourself frequently teaching back or frequently um, information that you're imparting on those other disciplines that maybe they didn't have until they got to work with you?
1: That's a great question. Um, well, just the way that healthcare is there's, you know, there's turnover. Um, it's a very competitive market right now. Um, and so I'm always advocating for what I do just because that turnover is so high. Um, But even when it isn't high, like, let's just say with a person I've co-treated with for a long time, you know, I feel like one of the things I educate on a lot, especially with speech therapists, is melodic intonation therapy. Um, Even though this was a technique that was coined um, by speech pathologists, I find that a lot of speech pathologists don't use it because they are, like you know, worried about their singing voice or whatever, um, but they also don't really know who who make the best candidates for this, this protocol. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting um, talking and educating about that, and then just generally educating, you know, each discipline on what can we do to help your session and your specific goals. Um, we always go into the beginning of the session you know we try to game plan real quick before we enter the patient's room and sometimes I'll throw in a little tidbit like oh yeah and by the way we can work on this goal by doing xyz and they'll say oh I didn't even think about that sometimes it's just giving like those intervention examples not necessarily educating but just kind of reminding them
0: what our capabilities are oh that last part reminding them what our capabilities are (laughs) I think that (laughs) yeah advocating and, and I love co-treating, but definitely sometimes there's that, um, where you're in a situation and at least I have, I have had, um, a colleague before, you know, kind of like explaining things to me in a way. And I was like, took what they said. And then I was like, oh yes. And then here's the next thing, or here's the next step. And I was like, oh, right. Like you are also a trained professional who kind of knows what you're doing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's just all about how you say things. You know, you can
1: come off, can come off really abrasive and that can be taken the wrong way. And that, that relationship can go down the tubes real quick. And then that person's not going to refer patients to you anymore. If you know, they're going to get treated like that, like they're belittled, but if you approach it from a place of, Hey, um, I'm not sure if we've done this intervention before, but we could also do this, you know, Mm. X, whatever it is um just again like almost as a reminder and a hey by the way or ps um <laughs> rather than saying no that's not what i'm here to do or whatever you know just 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 be kind about it and and yeah. i feel like you'll you'll just benefit not your patient will benefit and you'll benefit as a professional yeah
0: yeah totally it's um it's a relationship right it's an interdisciplinary relationship so it ebbs and flows and um i can imagine with the turnover sometimes that that's probably kind of exhausting it is
1: it is it has been recently but I'm pushing through it you know um and one of the other interesting things about interdisciplinary treatment is uh you don't think about this maybe not in school or maybe just when you're conceptualizing this but everybody has different personalities um you know just like we all have like those different five love languages everybody's got like I feel like someone should coin like treatment languages, you know, like, Ooh. how do you, you know, clinical treatment language, um, because everybody's different. So there's more therapists, there's some therapists that are more introverted, and some that are more extroverted, and some patients, or excuse me, some therapists that are willing to let us take the lead. And they kind of take a backseat versus some therapists, they want to take the lead. And then sometimes it's a 50 50 split. Um, and part of that depends on not only the therapist personality, but what we're doing in the session, too, because if it's a little bit outside our scope of practice, and yeah, maybe we do want to lean a little harder on our, you know, our treatment partner, like if we're doing stuff that's like gait training and balance, that physical therapist is going to have their hands on that patient the entire session, and they know the body kinematics better than I do. And so I'm going to lean on them more for that session. So, you know, it's, it's very, um, situation dependent, but underneath all that, you have the individual's personality and, you know, are they inclined to speak up? Do they want to, you know, do they want to lead or are you going to lead or is it going to be a collab, a true collab?
0: Yeah, I think that's a great reminder because sometimes, you know, you get into your flow with certain people and you kind of, I'll speak for myself, um, I get this expectation, I'll say. So then if I go to work with a different person, with a different clinician of the same discipline, we'll say like OT, like you said, their personality leads are different. So I might be used to like the OT leads the session and I'm providing the adapted music throughout. Suddenly I'm working with a different OT who really wants me to take take the lead here and then they'll kind of jump in and out. So I think that is a great... A great reminder about how our personalities play into what we're doing and how they interact with the personalities of other people and also being self-aware about what our tendencies are you know is my tendency to take a back seat um or is my tendency to kind of step in and I don't give enough space to the other clinician to to do their thing too so yeah good one
1: that's a great point, because I'm a very, I'm sure you can tell. And anybody that's listening to this can tell. I'm very like, I just say what's on my mind. You know, I, I'm, you know, strong-willed. I'm, you know, just kind of loud. Um, my husband will tell you that, that I'm just really loud. Um, and I just kind not say, <laughs> yeah, but um, sometimes, you know, I could see how that, that could intimidate a, a co-treat partner that's maybe not not as extroverted you know and so i have to kind of keep tabs on that and of course i have to you know modify uh, my output, my personality, depending on, of course, the patient's affect and where they're at for the day. If they're feeling low, I can't just barge in and be like, hey, I'm Danielle. How's it going? You know, um, yes. so, you know, kind of matching, of course, matching the patients where they're at. But I feel, I almost feel like you sort of have to do that with your co-treat partners too, to an extent.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. I'm just thinking uh, I do not have the the luxury of being in uh, one I don't want to say facility because you you did mention that you bounce around but I I'm not in one ecosystem throughout the week basically <laughs> in place. I like that so way. yeah um where was I going with this to be able to create that bond with the clinician and with the the client at the same time so that like you said you can kind of go in read the energy of what everyone's needing and also like play off your co-treatment partner, you know, like maybe they're going through a life phase. And if you're close enough to know, Hey, you know, their energy level is going to be pretty low for this week, or they have a lot of creative energy this week. And this is our time to really collaborate and come up with ideas. Uh, that must be really, really cool to have that, um, that closeness and that consistent camaraderie to do those things. Yeah, it's awesome, and I mean, the
1: culture at Brooks is such that, like, everybody wants to hang out with each other after work, because we all just have such strong relationships. We've got happy hours. We celebrate people's birthdays, like, on our lunch hour, and bridal showers, and baby showers, and all sorts of things, and all that does is draw us closer, and uh, it's wonderful. Oh, I
0: love that. That sounds lovely. Yes, <laughs> So to steal a phrase from music therapy, Ed, music therapists are leaders in healthcare and you, it sounds like you take leadership, um, pretty seriously and everything you're doing, both music therapy related and not. So tell us about what, what that looks like for you.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, for a,
0: for a while there, I
1: was kind of confused on the difference between professional development and leadership Mm. because I kind of thought I was you know I was looking on music therapy ed and I was looking around online for really what I was searching for was leadership courses and I could only find professional development and I was like well is that the same thing you know and, and for a while I thought well are you a leader by engaging in professional development and I guess the short answer to that was I found out no Right. So um, leadership is kind of like its own, its own separate thing. Um, yeah. And I've just recently gotten into like reading about leadership. And um, I started reading John C. Maxwell's like literature and listening to a few of like their, a um, few of his podcasts and um, really has helped me to kind of analyze how I function both in my personal life as a leader and my professional life as a leader. And um, a couple, I'll share a couple of like these, you know, these little tidbits that, you know, I've been reading about, because I think that they're, they're really important. Um, Please, yeah. You know, yeah. So, I mean, I think I used to think a leader was just, you know, being able to really just hone your craft and just be an awesome music therapist and do the best you can. And I still think that's, that's true to an extent, you know, and now, now that I'm a coordinator, I have a very small department, but I'm still a coordinator. And so I still have to function as, as a leader. Um, and in coming into this role, I kind of gave a lot of thought, like, you know, I have different relationships now um, that are sort of defined by my role. So how can I set myself apart as, as a leader versus who I was before. Like, yes, I'm still a music therapist, but now I have this coordinator title. What does that really mean? And, and what can I do? Um, and even if, you know, anyone listening who isn't a coordinator, like I still think these are good questions to ask yourself. And so um, one of the things that John C. Maxwell says, like he says to add value. So wherever you go, whatever you do, like try to add value. So thinking about your organization that you work for, how can you add value? Um, and so for me, I've kind of taken, taken that and I've tried to think about like what we do at Brooks to help elevate patient um, and employee satisfaction, which is a huge focus at our hospital. And so I joined our satisfaction council. And I've been, you know, going to the meetings and um, contributing a lot of ideas. And even though I'm a loud person, usually in meetings, I'm actually pretty quiet. I'm just like processing stuff. And I just kind of keep my ideas to myself. So lately, I've just been spouting these ideas. Like, I think I accidentally took over the last meeting. (laughs) that we had, because they didn't really have an agenda. And they were like, Danielle, do you have any ideas? And I was like, um, I have a whole bullet list. And they were like, Okay, Danielle, awesome. why don't you run the meeting today? And I was like, I'm okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I think that as music therapists, because what we're doing is like, it's important work. But I think sometimes we get stuck, like, That's the only way we can add value is doing what we went to school for. Well, I'm adding value in a different way to our organization by trying to think of ideas that are not music therapy related. Um, So like, for example, we had staff satisfaction luncheons. And so I, since my student is independent, I let her see our caseload and I went downstairs and I helped with serving other um, employees lunch and then helping to run lunches up to employees who were in meetings and things like that. And so, you know, that's, that's a way that I'm adding value. And, and then, you know, going to these meetings and coming up with ideas to further our patient experience. um, I recently created a, um, a discharge song for our patients and, and kind of stole the idea from other facilities of getting a bell to ring um, when they get ready to discharge. And so now they're kind of rolling out that process to patients to kind of celebrate them a little bit more when they leave. Um, So you know, just you know, I guess anyone listening, just think about how you can add value, even if it's not musical value. Maybe it's lending your expertise for for something, or just trying to find strength in something that needs some support, or you know, an area that's a little neglected that maybe needs some help. Um, And then, of course, like just empowering other people. That's been a really A big focus for me, even though my team is small, I try to empower them and make them feel like, you know, that they're doing good things. And I try to compliment them and use that positive language more um, whenever possible, Um, because I think that that just continues to help them to want to do more things and and just rise to the occasion and develop themselves professionally. Mm. Um, And then I'm just thinking about like his other, his other like values. But one of the other things he says is like to have a teachable spirit is Mm -hmm. to always have that open mind, always have a mentor and be willing to be taught. Um, Because like I said earlier, like you just learn, learning is lifelong. Um, So just to be, always be open to that and don't always think that you have the answers and just continue to, to make progress and seek ways to be taught.
0: Yeah. hundred percent.
1: So anyway, so I'm just kind of just embarking on all these like leadership things. And I know it probably sounds like I was sort of rambling, but cause I, yeah. I'm still trying to, trying to digest it myself and trying to also like just evaluate myself and, um, I think that some people believe who they are at home is very different from who they are at work. And what Maxwell says is like, it shouldn't be like those same values that you have at home should be applied to your work life. So yeah, of course, we have to be a little more politically correct when we're at work and mind our P's and Q's a little bit more. But but all that aside, like, your core values, your integrity, your honesty, your faith, your whatever, your tenacity, um, all of that that you have at home should also be true when you step into the workplace.
0: Yeah. I love all that. I'm I'm thinking about um, what you said about like, you can be a really great clinician and be really great at everything you do. And Maybe, I wanna use the word model, but it's not entirely the way I wanna use. You can be a great example of what an amazing clinician can be, but that doesn't mean you're a great leader. It doesn't mean that you can impart your knowledge. It doesn't mean you can lead by example or inspire others to want to grow and do more and do better. If you already know everything and you act like you already know everything, then that's not leadership in my opinion.
1: Right. Right. And then one other thing, you know, I am the first to admit that, like, I swear I inherited this from a family member. I won't say who, but (laughs) I have, I tend, I tend to have just in case they listen to the podcast later, you know, um, (laughs) but I tend to have a little bit of like an envious bone in my body. And so whenever I feel that envy kind of creeping up, I'm like, no, wait a second. Why don't you just talk to that person and figure out how they achieved that and find out how you can do that instead of being like annoyed or, oh, poor, pitiful me. Like, why don't you go listen to that person, what they have to say and learn from them and find out how they achieve that success? Like, stop being so spiteful, you know, just just go and learn.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great leadership quality because it it starts with self-awareness, right? Like I am experiencing Mm -hmm. this for you. You said jealousy. So if there's something that like is triggering you or is activating you or whatever, instead of feeding into that, turning that self-awareness back on yourself and saying, why? Why is this activating me in this way? And then what do I need to do to, to like not to necessarily achieve what whatever it is that's activating you, but to to figure out like, what am I trying to say to turn the reflection back on yourself? What do I need to do? What do I need to look at in order to get from where I am to where I want to be? And the distance in between there is this activated emotion, this triggering emotion, this jealousy or whatever it may be. Uh, and that's yeah, yeah, so important in leadership. I'm thinking of friends I have that frequently have discourse with their boss i'll say or their supervisor or whatever and <laughs> often it's exactly that like something has happened and their person in their quote leadership position is you know they're deflecting they're angry they're taking it out on their i don't like the word inferiors but they're taking it out on the inferior employees or just all these things that are not making you know the people low on the totem pole want to continue to work and do their best and improve because their quote leadership is not doing those things. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, th- I think we all have a lot to work on um, myself included, like that self-reflection piece. It's really huge. I think some people are afraid of self-reflection because they're, they're afraid of what they will see. Um, and, and, you know, it can be a little scary, but, but then in doing so you can, you know, you can make some changes and it'll help you in your personal life. you know, in addition to your professional life.
0: Yes. hundred percent. hundred percent. And like you've said a bunch of times that that doesn't end, just keeps going. You just keep learning and growing and need to stay open. Um, my grandfather always used to say the older I get, the less I know. And whenever I'm (laughs) having an activated moment, I I say that to myself, like, Oh, I'm getting older. So I know less. So this is my learning opportunity right now. I love
1: that. I might have to steal that from him.
0: <laughs> yeah. The older I get, the less I know. I like it. Is there anything else you want to dive into before we do the rapid fire questions?
1: Um. The only other thing I was thinking of, and I don't know how much time we have, so I'm just over here just pretending like we have the whole day, Trisha. So we I'm sorry. We do the whole day. <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to address is just like, um, becoming, becoming a mother and being yeah. career oriented.
0: Please.
1: Um, so if we have time to reflect on that, I would love, I would love to. Yes. Um, yeah. Take it away. I, I know you've had a lot of um people on the show that have talked about you know how to balance like their their private practice business with kids and and those people are like literally superheroes I don't know how they do it Uh, (laughs) um I only have one child and I don't have a private practice and I still find it hard um so I don't know I just I just felt like um it would be interesting to share like how my perspective of being a music therapist changed after I had a child, because I Mm. definitely feel like it did. And I just kind of wonder who else this maybe happened for, but um, my, I swear before having my daughter, I was like, okay, here are all my career goals. They were very lofty. They're still kind of lofty, um, but they were very, very lofty. And I was just like hyper-focused on career
0: And I was like,
1: okay, I'm pregnant, that's fine. And we're gonna have a kid and that's fine. I'm gonna go back to work. And then I'm going to resume all these crazy lofty goals. And, and what I didn't factor in was that after I had a child that my role would be redefined. And I guess I always thought of myself, like, first and foremost, when people think Danielle, I thought that they thought Danielle, the music therapist, which is interesting, like, not a quality about me or anything, but rather my job. So maybe that I had some skewed thinking, um, but I felt like that changed once I had a kid from Danielle, the music therapist, to Danielle, the mother. And so for me, that's been a big change because she comes before, my daughter comes before, everything, as most people's children usually do. And so, because of that, there have been some like lofty goals that have been put on the back burner. And I am totally okay with that. Whereas before, if they went on the back burner for no reason, I would have been mad at myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, I just, to anybody out there who's the a music therapist who's getting ready to have children like it's okay to let some of those career aspirations go by the wayside and to know that you'll, you'll pick them back up later. It's okay. But being a mother is so, it's so rewarding Um, in a completely different way than being a music therapist is Um, not saying one is better than the other. I don't like to do (laughs) categorize things like that. Um, But I don't know. I, I think, Having a child made me come to terms with um, more of who I am as a person first, rather than Danielle, the music therapist. Yeah, I don't know, just food for thought.
0: Yeah, uh, I don't have kids, so I can't speak to that, but I can imagine what it's like to, like, like you're saying, have this vision of yourself. You know, I'm Trisha, the music therapist, or I'm Trisha, the podcast host, or whatever, um, and from my personal experience, I am a recovering workaholic. And so to be able to spread my identity across different ways to say, I'm also Trisha, you know, the hiker and the dog mom and the gardener, like whatever it is, um, to be able to see yourself through those different lenses. And also in doing that, reprioritize your life in, in a healthy way. Um, because like I said, I was a workaholic. So work for me was like a deflecting coping mechanism, very unhealthy relationship. So for anyone listening, kids or not the reminder that um, you can put your career goals down for a little bit or push them off or come up with completely different goals for yourself. And that's okay. I think that over the next few years as a collective not just music therapists but people in general we're going to be redefining what success is and what it looks like uh, for the individual and maybe all those goals you set for yourself when you were in high school and college and fresh out of school that you thought this is where my career is going and this is what success is going to look like and I will get to all of those things um being able to say like that can change and I am still successful and look at all these other areas in my life I've been able to grow in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you and I, uh, suffer from the same affliction, the whole workaholic (laughs) thing. (laughs) I mean, really, um, I, if I didn't have my little baby girl, I would not be clocking out on time like I usually do now. I <laughs> it hits six fifteen and I'm like time to go, let's go, gotta go see that baby. Um, and before I'd be like, you know, I'd text my husband, hey, I, I'm gonna stay a half hour later to to finish up this project or this resource packet or whatever. And then the half hour would turn into an hour and I'd come home and then I'd feel a little guilty because I do love hanging out with my husband. Shout out to him. Um, But the baby girl, oh no, I
0: cannot miss any time with a baby girl. (laughs) Good for you. Yeah, well, it's so true. And I think that um, unfortunately, music therapy is the type of profession that lends itself to workaholism. Like how many other people are going to agree to uh, learn different instruments, constantly revamp the repertoire, keep up with research, work with different clientele all the time, collaborate with other professionals, do 100 credits of continuing education every five years. Like, not many okay. professionals are looking for that type of workload. And we take that on as music therapists and then say, and I'm going to get a master's degree, and I'm going to have a family, and I'm going to start a private practice, and you know, whatever it could be. So, um, yeah. Lots of workaholics in our profession, for sure. And
1: and I'm going to take over the world. No, I'm just
0: kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I feel like if, if music therapists took over the world, we'd we'd live in a very different world.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Would be interesting. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, thank you for for sharing that and imparting that on us. I think that's always an important reminder. Um, to to Reevaluate and find that balance and adjust when needed. And there are so many expecting, current mamas, papas, parents, guardians who listen to the show. And um, I think that in every season of life, it's important to get those reminders because balance, balance is an act, right? Every time you think you got it, you got to adjust a little bit, or you push a little too far one way and then you got to rein it back in. And it's just this ebb and flow. Hmm. Agreed. This podcast is sponsored by the Music Therapy Podcast Collective, also known as MTPC, where you can find a variety of CMTE opportunities in the form of pod courses. All of MTPC's pod courses are built on a listen, learn, apply model where you start by listening to some assigned podcast episodes, then move into learning with the assistance of a workbook filled with resources for you to start your self study towards whatever topics are most interesting, inspiring, and applicable to your practice. And then we finish with the apply section which includes an office hour and a worksheet to determine how you are going to apply your learning to your personal life or professional practice you can find all the music therapy chronicles pod courses on our website musictherapychronicles.com and you can find the entire catalog of pod courses at mtpcs website mtpodcastcollective.com. Make sure you also get on the MTPC newsletter for 10% off your first pod course purchase.
1: I'm really anxious about these rapid fire questions. <laughs> oh,
0: don't be they're They're all about you. Uh, And the questions are short, but your answers don't have to be. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, the first one is coffee or tea? Neither.
1: Fair. (laughs) Hot chocolate.
0: (laughs) Ooh, yes. Even in Florida?
1: (laughs) Well, I'm a seasonal hot chocolate drinker.
0: (laughs) But in Florida? (laughs) Okay, listen,
1: when it gets below below about 75 degrees then you can start drinking hot chocolate.
0: (laughs) Well my my new blood says uh, below 75 degrees is still a warm summer day.
1: (laughs) Absolutely for you it is but I grew up in Florida and 75 is like all right I can wear a light jacket today and I can wear my
0: short boots. Um, Interesting. (laughs) how interesting
1: yeah one of one of my friends used to make fun of me uh she's she's a good friend of mine and was an intern um and she was like one of my first interns and she would laugh at me because she had the internship that was you know during the winter and so she'd see me come in with a scarf and boots and a snow hat and she's like what what's happening right now yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> it's all relative she's like why are you why are you dressed like that I'm like because <laughs> it's cold out I might catch a chill. Uh, Part of it's just a fashion statement. It's like, yes, I can wear a scarf. Cool. Yes. (laughs) Yes, I could see that. I definitely. And also everything in Florida has AC. So for like my body that is not used to AC, right outside is hot. (laughs) But as soon as I walk into a building, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's cold. Like now I need layers. (laughs) Right. (laughs) All right. The next one is early bird or night owl.
1: Oh, a night owl for sure. Yeah. I, my husband, the baby go to sleep and I'm still up for another two hours. Usually not doing anything super productive either, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> but it's good to have that time to yourself.
1: Yeah. My wind down time.
0: Totally. Something you'd tell your younger self. It's
1: mm. kind of a tough one. Mm. Um, probably just, you know, keep your head up, um, keep learning, um, don't, don't get too defensive. I was really defensive about music therapy when I was younger. Like when people would call it like musical therapy, I would like go off, (laughs) um, probably just, uh, continue to have compassion for others.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love those. Your music therapy elevator speech.
1: Oh, man. Okay. Well, that's, it's different depending on who I'm talking to. Um, but in general, I would say that music therapy isn't entertainment, um, but rather it's goal focused um, to work on cognitive Communicative and physical goals for persons of different abilities.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's really concise and clear.
1: But you know, I've given that spiel a thousand different ways. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think I think my colleague already said this in her in her uh, interview with you. But you know, you might ha- have this conversation with a doctor, a physical therapist. Uh, a caregiver, the patient themselves, if it's the patient themselves, I'm saying something super basic, like, uh, especially if it's like a low functioning patient, I'm saying, Hey, we're here to make music. And by doing that, we're going to get you home sooner. Um, you know, very just broad. Um, so it really depends who you're talking to. Yeah. Just, you kind of take out all the medical terminology and, um, you know, in working with our marketing team here at Brooks, as we've done like a few music therapy videos with them, and they they always tell me they're like, "Dumb it down, dumb it down, dumb it down," and I'm like, I I can't. I, it's like because in order to get respect for this field, we've had we've had to speak more educated, you know, about like you know match the educational level of the people that we're speaking to and he's like okay well now you're speaking to the public through this video so you need to make it sound smart but not too smart okay it's a delicate balance for sure
0: it
1: is so it really just depends who you're who you're talking to but that the whole music is this music therapy is not entertainment that's usually the first sentence out of my mouth to everybody
0: Mm. yeah yeah for sure Your favorite self-care
1: practice? Ooh, um, I like doing arts and crafts. I do a lot of different artsy-fartsy stuff.
0: Cool.
1: Yeah, I like to, um, I work with resin. Actually, recently I've been making these music therapy badges out of resin. Um, They're they're pretty cool. Uh, And then... I've been, I make like wreaths, like, you know, for doors. Um, I used to make cards for like, you know, stamped cards and stuff. Um, my bestie showed me how to do that. And yeah, just a little bit of everything. Right now I'm DIYing literally everything for my daughter's birthday in July.
0: <laughs> Lovely. It's important to create <laughs> so, outlets other than work and music. Yeah, crafts. Yeah, they're the best. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Something that's currently adding value to your life.
1: Mm -hmm. I think my garden that I have right now is adding value. I know this is not music therapy related, but you said anything.
0: Oh yeah. Um, Anything.
1: Yeah. We have two little um, 10 foot long gardens and one of them has got veggies and is not doing so hot. (laughs) but it's struggling. I just, I I cooked some squash yesterday out of the garden and peppers for my meal prep. So I was like, this is awesome. Like I'm eating what I'm growing. Like, this is cool. Um, so that's adding value nutritionally and just like, you know, making me feel good about that. We're doing something, you know, natural. And then uh, we, the other, um, planter has Um, flowers and I have some zinnias and they're all in bloom right now which is super exciting I love watching the butterflies and the bees and everything like pollinate them and it like I just get home from work and there's just this pop of color right by the house where everything's blooming and it's so beautiful nice that must be really lovely it is and then it's like a total educational point where I like take my daughter out there and I'm like what color is this flower
0: and oh look at the butterfly what's the butterfly doing (laughs) so yeah it's fun I uh grew up at and also was a counselor at nature camp for most of my young and young adult life so I thoroughly approve. oh cool that. (laughs) that sounds
1: like it was super fun how many years did you do that for
0: uh somewhere between Ten and twenty, with a couple of years off in between. So between the ages, of wow, like five and twenty-five. I think.
1: Okay, so you're the person I want to go hiking with, and or if I get lost in the woods,
0: you're the person I want to get lost in the woods with. I mean, maybe uh, uh, some of the information sticks, <laughs> some of it doesn't. So. <laughs> I used to be able to tell you, like, these are the plants you can eat. These are the plants you can't eat. This is what this animal does. Like, but I used to be really good at that. It's been a little while. I'm I'm, I'm rusty, we'll say. But I I still love a
1: good hike. You just need a refresher and you'll just be back at it. I'll make sure next time
0: I'm up there to hire you as our uh, trail lead. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. All right. Your favorite intervention or song to use in a session.
1: Okay, I'll go with intervention. Um, Intervention is the NMT technique, um, mu musical speech stimulation. Um, It is my favorite because I use it with, mostly with my favorite population, which is aphasia. Um, And I just love it because the individuals that have kind of the expressive uh, form of aphasia who have difficulty, you know, saying their wants, their needs, their name, anything, usually through music that we're able to get them to say to their spouse or somebody, I love you, or, you know, just or just to be able to sing a song and where before they weren't even able to say their name, but yet they're able to sing all these lyrics of the song kind of in the fill in the blank style and It's always a tear jerking moment for both the patient and the family, whenever there's that first breakthrough and it's like literally the most magical moment. And, um, I love it. It's amazing.
0: Oh, how rewarding to be part of that.
1: Yeah. All
0: right. The last question is where can the listeners find you and connect with you?
1: Well, I am kind of like you. I am I'm not actually I'm less than you because I don't have a podcast. I, I'm not I'm not the cool music therapist. Um my coworker AJ, who we know has her own TikTok. Um the one with music therapy. I'm giving her another plug. Um she frequently reminds me that I'm the old lady of the department which is totally fine by me. Um, and my students remind me of that too. So I don't have TikTok. Um, I only follow like three people on Instagram, but I don't have an active Instagram. So if you want to find me, you're going to have to email me. (laughs) Um, so I can give you my email, but it's pretty, it's pretty basic. It's just danielle.porter at Brooks, rehab.org and that's a good place to find me I do have a Facebook that's the only social media I have so you can private message me on Facebook if you would like that's it
0: that's fine that sounds like a, a good way to get connected with you for anyone who listened and wants to talk with you or learn more or maybe hear more about your internship all that good stuff
1: yes Yes, definitely. Uh, future interns, please feel free to uh, send us an email. But yeah, I'm a kind of an old soul, um, but I'm okay with that. Good for you.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for making the time to talk with me and for sharing your insights with the listeners and yeah, making this happen today.
1: Yeah, no, thank you. It's, it was it's a great podcast. I'm excited to be a part of it.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode and making the time choosing to be over here on the Music Therapy Chronicles. I'm really grateful for it. Again, don't forget to subscribe to the show and get on our newsletter so that you won't miss any part of the self-care challenge coming up very shortly to celebrate the opening of the self-care community, which is an amazing uh, place that we've created through Music Therapy Chronicles where like-minded professionals. We get together, we talk the talk, we walk the walk. Each month we dive into a different area of wellness. Um, For example, this month, June, we've been talking about occupational wellness and yeah, we've had some really great conversations about that. But anyway, you'll hear more about that in the self-care challenge. So for now, just make sure that you're subscribed and on the newsletter so you don't miss any of it. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to today's episode. Please find us on social media if you haven't already so you can stay up to date on everything. And I'll see you in the next one. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation and got a lot out of it. If you're looking for more Music Therapy Chronicles, you can check out our website, musictherapychronicles.com, for more episodes, blog posts, social media links, um, contact information, our self care community and our CMTE opportunities in the form of pod courses. Hop on our monthly newsletter if you haven't already and follow us on social media for just staying up to date on what's going on behind the scenes. We are Music Therapy Chronicles on all of the platforms please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. They really help the podcast be more visible so more people like you who are looking for this type of content can find it. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to this week's episode and I'll see you in the next one.